0: The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor, and do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. We tend to believe that those who've been harmed are entitled to some retaliation. You've heard it said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This idea is ancient. Nearly 4,000 years ago, The king of Babylon wrote these words on a column of basalt. King Hammurabi carved a list of crimes and their consequences into stone. If a doctor kills a rich man, the doctor will have his fingers removed. If someone eats the last slice of pizza that you were saving for after work, the thief will restore the pizza tenfold. If the pizza was cooked in a wood-fired stove, it is sacred to the gods (laughs) and the thief will restore the pizza (laughs) 30-fold. The code of Hammurabi is fairly severe. I mean, eating one slice of ill-gotten pizza requires you to purchase an entire large pizza as compensation. But we don't remember Hammurabi because he invented the idea of retaliation. It's not like before Hammurabi, people went around saying, you stole my pizza. I feel I should do something to express my outrage and sense of betrayal, but I'm not sure what would be appropriate in a situation like this. I mean, what are the rules? I, I, I guess there's nothing I can do. No, Hammurabi didn't invent the process of retaliation. Rather, he established its limit eye for eye and tooth for tooth sets the limit. If you are robbed of an eye, your retaliation is limited to the perpetrator's eye. If you are robbed of a tooth, your retaliation is limited to the perpetrator's tooth. The people of Israel incorporated these ideas into their own set of divinely sanctioned laws. This is a quote from the book of Exodus if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise strangely the book of exodus is silent on the topic of misappropriated pizza or maybe it's not so strange after all the woman is left silent her husband demands and the court allows but her voice isn't heard despite these shortcomings there are plenty of christians who long to see biblical laws carved into stone in particular they want to see the ten commandments mounted in every courthouse don't you think that carving laws into stone sounds more like Hammurabi than Jesus so why are Christians of all people so enthusiastic about installing a display of the Ten Commandments there are probably a bunch of different reasons but let's remember this one ancient idea those who are harmed are entitled to retaliation. Posting the Ten Commandments in a courthouse is a way to remind everyone, if you break God's law, then you face God's wrath. Ultimately, I think this impulse is about punishment and the threat of punishment. Feeling depressed by the political climate in 2005, Kurt Vonnegut wrote, for some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes, but often, with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in every public building. It's a good observation. Why don't we Christians have a reputation for inscribing, blessed are the merciful, in every courtroom? Why don't we hold a rally to demand the words, blessed are the meek? Be mounted above the White House. <laughs> when it comes right down to it, I don't think we trust the Beatitudes. We don't trust in love and mercy. Those values are nice, but really we think they're best suited to poets and kindergarten teachers. The rest of us have to live in the real world. In the real world, we need something more robust than love. And so we place our trust in punishment. That's really where we place our hope. We've decided to punish our way to a better future. Many of our Christian neighbors support the American cult of punishment. Do you think it's a coincidence that we Americans have the world's largest incarceration rate? and spend the most on the military? Of course not. In our culture, we believe in punishment and the threat of punishment. For 16 years now, we've been punishing terrorists. Now we've decided to punish the refugees. We've pushed them to the back of the line. We punish immigrants. We punish drug users. We punish unwed mothers and children who can't sit still. We punish the sick. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We are so in love with the idea of punishment that we blame people for their suffering. If you're suffering, it must be the punishment you deserve. We talk like the friends of Job, who said things like, consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? We should know better. Jesus told his disciples, neither this man nor his parents sinned. At the end of Job's story, God confronts the people who, sm- who spoke in spo- smug platitudes. I'm angry with you because you have not spoken the truth about me. We should know better than to trust the cult of punishment. Since Jonathan Edwards preached about sinners in the hands of an angry God, we have punished witches and slaves and communists and kids reading reading comic books. We have devoted ourselves to punishment. If punishment was the path to happiness, we should be the happiest people on earth. But we keep finding someone else who needs to be punished. We just find another reason to retaliate. The cult of punishment does not deliver on its promises. It feels like power. It feels like strength to impose a penalty on the unrighteous. But that feeling doesn't last. And as we pursue it, we simply repeat the cycle that leads us back to where we started. An eye for an eye for an eye for an eye for an eye. Maybe it was Gandhi who said, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. A more literal philosopher might say, an eye for for an eye leaves the whole world monocular. (laughs) Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus advocates for something deeper than conventional morality. He says, you have heard it said. You have heard it said eye for eye and truth for truth. And to all the people who nod and reach for their blood soaked instruments of acceptable retaliation, Jesus continues, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. How is that supposed to work? Turn the other cheek, walk an extra mile, give to anyone who asks of you? That is a really bad plan. Because bullies are good at being bullies. They don't care which cheek you aim at in their direction. They will overpower you. They will make you feel small. I'm suspicious of any claim that Jesus is offering practical advice in this passage. I don't think he's teaching his followers a secret technique for embarrassing their attackers. Because bullies know how to hurt you. Bullies don't care how you tilt your face. Let's admit that Jesus is saying something outrageous. He is dismissing the conventional wisdom that morality is about limiting your retaliation. Instead of limiting your retaliation, Jesus teaches, do not resist an evil person. There is no way to make that comfortable or fair, there's no way to make it workable. So what is going on here? I think Jesus is calling us away from the cult of punishment. There's nothing comfortable about that. There's no guarantee that it will be fair. It's simply a different way of seeing. It's a different way of being in the world. Who are the people you would like to see punished? Now, what would it look like if those same people were healed? I don't mean mad scientist healing. I don't mean stop struggling. This is for your own good kind of healing. I mean, what would it look like if the people you want to punish received deep and compassionate healing? Maybe we have to choose, will we be healers in the name of Jesus or will we inflict injury in the name of inflicted injury? There's no guarantee, there's no promise of a happy ending and you get to decide. Maybe there's some injuries you can't forgive. Maybe there are some evil people you must resist Go ahead and resist them with all your might. But don't forget, our culture has enshrined the idea of punishment. We have the largest military budget in the world by far. We have the highest incarceration rate in the world. Is this the God we want to follow? Do we spin the wheel of retaliation one more time Or does God call us to do something unexpected?